morning, Grace Church. Welcome to our tent of meeting this morning. Remember, we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. We want to remind you that our offering boxes are in the back of the church, and you're welcome to use those. Um, and you know, during second service now, we are offering indoor seating, live stream indoor seating, if you like to in the future, uh, sit inside. And we'd like to remind you also of our announcements for the week. Check the, the email that we send out each week and the website for new and upcoming things. And grab a, a calendar. They're on the back table in the back if you didn't get one the past couple weeks. Also, Awana is starting this Wednesday for all those kids that have been waiting. It is this Wednesday. And coming up on September 30th, we will be having another membership class. And tomorrow, MPAC will be meeting, having a Zoom meeting to be praying for our missionaries. We are continuing to encourage you also to serve the body of Christ here. This week, we're focusing on children's ministry and the connecting team. We're looking for ushers and greeters and also child care workers as we open up uh, the Sunday school classes for the kids a little bit at a time in the, next, in the weeks to come. And finally, we have... Uh, baptisms coming up. We have some baptisms planned coming up in October. This morning I'd like you to stand with me as we open up God's Word. We're going to read from Psalm 18 verses 1 to 3. So please stand and join me. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to, re to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Join me in prayer. I love you, Lord. Thank you so much for your word. You remind us that you are our stronghold in times of trouble and need. When our lives are shaken, you are our rock and our fortress for us to find protection and safety. Your word of truth is our comfort as we look to your word for guidance and direction in this broken and hurting world. Amen.
in chapter 5, if you want to open up your Bibles with me and read the passage, verse 10 to 12, Ecclesiastes 5, 10 to 12. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. You may be seated. We're highlighting today our missionary family, Ed and Carla Trenner, so we'll be praying for them. They are serving with on-mission partners and mobilizing uh, missionaries here from the states across the world and in our own community. So join me in prayer as we prepare for God's word. Gracious Father, you are king of heaven and earth. You are perfect and holy. You reign over all the people in righteousness and administer justice through all the kingdoms of the earth. The heavens proclaim your glory, and we worship you. We glorify you in your perfection. Your creation sings of your glory, and we all fall down in awe and wonder. We have followed our own way and have disobeyed you in our pride and selfishness. We have walked away from you in the desires and passions of our hearts. We have made idols of the things you have created and polluted our minds and hearts with the empty lies of the world but you are faithful to your people. Thank you, Lord, that you are mindful of your creation and remain true to your word to save us from our sin. Thank you for the precious gift of your son, Jesus, who has taken our place and taken the burden of our sin on himself. Thank you that you have given us hope and a future through the precious blood of your son who has purchased us with his very life-giving blood. We belong to you. We are your servants. We, you are preparing a place for us in your presence. Thank you, Lord. We are undeserving of your kindness, but you have poured out your mercy and grace to us to save us and filled our hearts with your love. We ask you now for your continued blessing in the power of your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with your love, to remind us of your miraculous ways, to pour out your grace and mercy to a lost people. We pray for Ed and Carla Trenner as they serve with On Mission partners, mobilizing individuals to take the gospel around the world and here in our own community. We pray for their continued endurance and physical health. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to receive your word of truth with humble anticipation 
as we have Pastor Mike share with us what you have put on his heart and his mind through your inspired, inerrant, infallible word of truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
thank you that we can sing these songs, not simply as, as lyrics on a screen, God, but we can sing this as truth and a prayer, God, that you would indeed reveal yourself to us. Even in this moment, would you prepare our minds, prepare our hearts to hear the word of God and to be transformed by it. God, we pray that your spirit would work in and through us this morning to transform us according to your word and according to your will. We pray all this by the blood and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. to the inspired and errant and fallible word of God today, we see that it speaks of money. No matter who you are or what you do or where you live, most likely money is often on your mind. People always want more money. If you had more money, would it make you happier? If you had more money, would it make life easier? If you didn't have to worry about paying bills, would you be more peaceful? If you had more money, would that make you more content? If you could buy anything you wanted, would you feel better about life? If you didn't have to count every dollar, would you somehow feel that God was blessing you more? In every time, in every place, people are fixated on getting more money. Just think of the California gold rush. And think about how we want high-paying jobs, and bonuses, stock options. Think about how people are flocking to casinos and running to buy lottery tickets. And it's because people are always wanting more money. Some preachers capitalize on that craving for wealth and promise that God will give you health and wealth if you just give more money. Paul told Timothy, the love of money is literally the root of all the evils. They all spring out of a love of money. It is the love that ruins. We're going to focus on money the next few weeks as we work our way through Ecclesiastes 5.10 down to chapter 6, verse 9. And we're going to see today in Ecclesiastes 5.10 through 12 why the love of money ruins and why you won't be satisfied with more money. 
Now you know as we've been going verse by verse through Ecclesiastes, this book teaches you how to live in light of dying. When you grasp the reality that everyone's going to die and that you're going to die, then you can actually really live with purpose on this earth. And we've seen this in Ecclesiastes. I mean, God is in control. Only God is in control. And we can't figure this out. And we don't know. And only God knows and only God satisfies. We saw in the first part of this chapter how, how you should really worship God. The right way to worship God is fully surrendered. Fully surrendered to the will of God and, and quietly listening to the word of God, carefully praying to God. We saw last week in verses 8 and 9 that when you see a predatory politics, when you, when you feel the personal pain, whether it happens to you or you watch someone else uh, receiving injustice, you have to deal with that and realize that things are bad and things can get worse. But if you're a believer in Jesus, you trust the righteous, merciful Lord God Almighty, the King who is over us. What we see in this passage is that the love of money will never satisfy you. It's not going to work. You must find your joy in God as you receive and trust his daily gifts. This passage tells us why the love of money ruins. We see three reasons why the love of money ruins in these verses. Look with me first at verse 10. You see the first reason. By the way, this is a classic verse on the love of money. It goes like this. Look, just look at this verse. Look at the very words of the verse. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. And then it just doubles down with the same idea, with the parallel thought, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is vanity. There's the, the Hebrew word habel again. Brief. Fleeting. A vapor. It doesn't last. And the first reason why the love of money ruins is because, first, it creates covetous cravings that it can't satisfy. It creates cravings that it cannot satisfy. You will have unsatisfied desire. You will always want more. You will never have enough. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Loves here is a strong Hebrew word. It's used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. Aheb, it means desire. It means literally to be wanting something so much that you, you run after it and you're breathing hard after it. it. It literally is something you delight in and becomes the object of your affections. It's the same Hebrew word in Genesis 22:2, where God tells Abraham, take now your son, your only son whom you love, and go offer him to me. It's, a, it's the same word used of Isaac loving Rebekah, his wife, and Isaac loving Esau, his son. It's the same word used in Proverbs 17, 17 of a friend who loves at all times. It's the same word used of God's command to love your neighbor as yourself. And God's command to love him with all your heart and soul and might. It is a full dedication word. It is a covenant commitment word. 
It's the same love that we are to have for the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 48. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. And that really encompasses this idea of this love. I'm going to think about it all the time. It is the object of my affection. It is a committed love. I think about it all the time. And so in the best way, this word for love describes the deepest relationships, God and his word and your spouse and your kids. But when this word gets applied to money, it takes a sinister plot twist. And it draws you away from the best love to idolatry. The one who loves money is absolutely wrapped up in that as the driving force of their life. This word love can be applied to hating wisdom. Those who hate wisdom love death. Proverbs 8.36 says, Proverbs 20, verse 13 says, if you love sleep, and who doesn't love a good night's rest? Who doesn't love a good nap? But if you love sleep to the point where you literally are committed to that all the time and never do any responsibilities and never work, then you'll become poor. If you love sleep, you'll become poor. Proverbs 21, 17 says, he who loves pleasure will become a poor man. So you love the wrong thing, and it will ruin you. That's a sad thought, isn't it? We don't want to be ruined. And this is a big deal. It's such a big deal that Solomon uses three different words for wealth in verse 10. First, he uses the term money, literally silver. It's a currency. And then he uses the, the word abundance, which means wealth and possessions and material prosperity. And then he uses the term income, which is an agricultural word. It's where you're looking forward to a harvest. And, and the idea is you're desiring a lot of harvest. You're desiring more income, more money. So those who love money put wealth and accumulation of wealth before anything else in life. They live for money, even if it violates justice. As we saw last week in verses 8 and 9, people that do injustice and they just trample over the poor. They pursue money as the goal of their life. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Money doesn't satisfy. It's the first proof that it ruins you. It, the craving intensifies and is never satisfied. The appetite increases, but you'll never have enough of money to satisfy the appetite. And by the way, wealth is not the problem. If you have a lot of money, that's not the problem. The problem is the appetite of those who love the money. So you can be poor or rich and be a lover of money, be wrapped up in it. Wealth is not the problem, it's the appetite for the wealth. Ecclesiastes 4.8, we've already seen this, where the man whose eyes are not satisfied ever with riches. He just gets more and more, and there's no satisfaction there because it cannot satisfy you. In Psalm 52, we hear of the man who, will not, who would make God his refuge, like refusing 
And, and it says he trusted in the abundance of riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. When you're loving money, you're basically digging your own grave. Now, money is mentioned a lot in the Bible. A lot. Uh, terms like wealth and income and gold and silver and riches and inheritance, even debt and poverty. A lot of attention the Bible gives to financial matters. Jesus said more about money than he did about anything but the kingdom of God. The only thing he said more about was the kingdom of God. He said more about money than heaven and hell combined. Jesus warned about making money your God. In Matthew 6, he says, Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. He says, Don't, don't go after another master. You cannot serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other. You cannot serve God and money. It is impossible. So when Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, the love of money is the root of all the evils. He goes on to say, this, by this craving, by this heart's intent only on money, some have wandered away from the faith. That's how important this is to make sure that you're not a lover of money. They've wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains, many pangs, a lot of trouble. And if you didn't think it was important to this point, you would just need to look up early in 1 Timothy 6, before he launches into verses 6 through 9. And he says in verse 3, these are the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's how important it is to make sure that you are not a lover of money. You know, money's perennial drawback is really that it cannot satisfy coveting. God commanded, you shall not covet. I don't have any other gods before me, and you shall not covet. Jesus warned against coveting. Jesus said, be on guard against all forms of covetousness. Your life does not consist in the abundance of what you possess. And so Jesus, as well as Solomon, is saying, look, the love of money is brief and it's ruinous. Now, we've already seen in Ecclesiastes that mankind has eternity in his heart. Your soul needs more nourishment than money can give. Even when Jesus was saying, Be, beware of this covetousness, he follows it up with a parable of the rich fool who said, hey, I got a lot of money. I'm going to build bigger barns to put all my grain and all my goods. And he even talks to his own soul, and he says, soul, you have a lot, a lot of, of goods laid up for many years to come. Just relax and eat and drink and be merry. He's talking to his own soul because he was a lover of money and that was his God. And here's what God said to him. He said, you fool, this very night you're going to die. Your life is required of you and the things you prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus concluded with this, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God, the love of money will ruin you. It leads to this craving that will never be satisfied. It's like drinking seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you become, 
salt water. More money doesn't satisfy. It intensifies the craving. And this is the first reason that we see in this passage why love of money ruins you because it creates cravings that it can't satisfy. Second reason, verse 11, is that it complicates your life. The love of money complicates your life. There's unending demands and people are depending on you. Now verse 11, look at verse 11, it says when goods increase, so you have more of what you're wanting, they increase who eat them. So more mouths to feed, more people that are depending upon you. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his own eyes? Like you're just watching while everyone else is consuming what you have, have you know, put together here. So the more possessions, the more complex your life gets. Now Solomon would know this. Solomon would know. In 1 Kings 4, it tells us that his provision for one day, just one day and all the people he needed to feed, was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fat, 23 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed cattle, grass-fed cattle, organic, I'm sure, a hundred sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowls. Um, he cooked those, they cooked those and ate those. And a churrascaria like every day. This was every day, one day, for all the people he was feeding. And not only that, he had a lot of people working for him. He was doing big things, right? So in 1 Kings 5, it says that he drafted forced labor out of all of Israel, numbered 30,000. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. And he had 70,000 burden bearers and 80,000 stone cutters besides 3,300 uh, chief officers over the people that were working. Your life can get really complicated really quick. Wealth leads to more dependence and more demands and oftentimes a complex web of burdens and a swarm of leeches. A lot of people who come into money find they have friends coming out of the woodwork. I haven't seen for years, didn't know they were even, they had relatives they probably didn't know they were related to. But more money equals more challenges. And by the way, the issue is not money here. The issue is your stance toward money, whether you love it or whether you use it. Loving it versus using it. Psalm 62.10 tells us if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Do not start loving them. Do not make them your God. I mean, think about how many times what we think will make us happy makes us miserable. The National Endowment for Financial Education uh, found that 70% of people who win the lottery or have some financial windfall like right away go broke in a few years. They give so much away, they don't manage it well, they waste it. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich, you can still be a lover of money and be so wrapped up with that. Matthew Henry said the poor are as much in danger of an unhealthy desire towards wealth as the rich are from unhealthy delight in it. That's why we need the prayer of the psalmist. He prays in Psalm 119, verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies, not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things because the love of money 
creates cravings it cannot satisfy, and then it complicates your life to no end. And there's one more reason in this passage why the love of money ruins. Number three, and it's in verse 12, it causes you a lot of worry and anxiety. A lot of worry and anxiety. Look at verse 12. Sweet, I love this, sweet is the sleep of the laborer. Hard work, maybe not a lot of money, but hard work and less worry, you can just sleep soundly. Whether he eats little or much, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, but... The, the, the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. You have too many worries, too many cares. You're, you're trying to keep what you have and keep it safe and get more of it. So here's this laborer who's comparatively poor and does hard work and has freedom from worry and good night's sleep. Then there's the person continuing to gain and consume and they're so wrapped up in it that's all they think about, they lose sleep. Isn't it interesting? They're depriving themselves of sleep for something that robs them of sleep. Less money, less consuming, more sleep. More money, more consuming, less sleep. And the sleeplessness here is not because they're working so hard, it's because they're eating so much. It's overeating. Affluence leads to overindulgence. A lot of good things to eat. Overeating keeps you awake. Insomnia afflicts the rich. But wealth disturbs your peace. The more you have, the worse you sleep. There's this unrelenting stress, and there's this anxiety about the future of your wealth, and you have to keep it safe and growing. It's not bad to be rich. It's not bad to be poor. But when all you think about is getting more money, it will ruin you. Poverty has its problems, but loving money is not the solution. The psalmist says, better is the little of the righteous has than the wealth of many wicked. But here's the trade-off that a lot of people make every day of the week. They'll trade the poor man's contentment and sweet sleep for the rich man's wealth and misery. Psalm 127.2 says, it's vain to rise up early, go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. You're not trusting God, you're just so anxious about everything. And it says, he gives to his beloved sleep. I love that verse. God gives the one that's trusting in him sweet sleep. As you go to sleep, you're trusting in God's full sovereignty and you put yourself in his hands as you sleep. And he keeps you breathing and your heart beating and and he's giving you what you need for the coming day, strength. But money will ruin you. The love of it will tear you apart. J.C. Ryle said money is one of the most unsatisfying of possessions. It takes away some cares, but it brings with it quite as many cares as it takes away. He says there's trouble in getting it, there's there's anxiety in keeping it, there's temptations in the use of it, there's guilt in the abuse of it, there's sorrow in the losing of it. I mean, you only have to look at our exercise machines and our health clubs and realize we are spending a lot of money to try to undo the damage that wealth does to our bodies. This is not about working hard. This is not about making money. This is about being so fixated on money that it becomes the object of your deepest affection. And it will ruin you. The love of money ruins. What should you do? To not be ruined. I mean, like, what can we do to not be ruined? 
I mean, you've got the love of money creating cravings that it can't satisfy. And people running after it every day. How do you not be ruined? The answer, right in the word of God, but it's to love Christ more than anything. And, and to rest under his lordship. This really is a lordship of Christ question. To be satisfied with his lordship. Dutch statesman Abram Kuyper uh, said this. It's a very famous saying, but he said this. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's absolutely true. But every believer must settle the lordship acknowledgement question. If you're trusting in the finished work of Christ, you believe he died for your sins in your place on the cross. We sang it beautifully. We sang the truth that, that God makes a way for lost sinners to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Trust his finished work. Trust his shed blood in your place on the cross. Don't trust in any kind of goodness that you think you could drum up. And if that's you, if you're trusting in Christ, you have to settle the, the lordship acknowledgement question. It's not enough to say, I'm trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord and live as if money is your Lord. The Christian worldview is, is grounded, it's based upon, it's founded upon absolute allegiance to Christ, absolute surrender to Jesus. Where we just say, Lord Jesus, my life is yours. Everything I have, everything I want, everything I do, I just want it directed towards you and pleasing you because I love you with all of my heart because you first loved me. When you confess Christ as Lord, and by the way, the Bible says no one can, can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What that means is if you're acknowledging Christ as Lord in your life, you cannot do that unless the Holy Spirit has brought you from death to life, regenerated you, give you new birth, new life in Christ. When you confess Christ as Lord, you are confessing the greatness of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God of Israel, the God who created the world, the God who sustains the world, who's worthy of absolute allegiance. This is why the Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Love him with all your heart to the point that all you want to do is, is please him. But every one of us knows there is this constant battle for, for what has first place in our heart, what has first place in our affections, right? And, and our money choices reveal our true heart. And our, our money habits expose our true priorities. And when we are acknowledging Jesus' lordship appropriately, doesn't leave any room in our life for the love of money. You just end up using money as a gift from God, but you don't let it use you. Because when you acknowledge Christ as Lord, you're, you say, my time, my money, everything belongs to the Lord. The gospel 
counteracts infectious craving, the love of money. It, it counteracts greed. John, he said, do not love the world. He goes on to say, everything that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, they're not from the Father, they're from the world. They're not of God. They're, they're not for you to love as, as your primary love. So when you love Christ, it counteracts a longing for money. Because Jesus sets you free. We sang that today too. Don't be subject again to a, sub, a, a yoke of slavery, Galatians 5.1 tells us. You've you got to contend for the truth. What is the truth? The truth is I need to love God with all my heart. And I will, I'll value money as a tool but not as a means to build myself up. We are to build ourselves up in our most holy faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are to, to love Christ more than anything and then be satisfied by his lordship because he is the best. So there's one way you cannot be ruined. Let me give you another. The love of money just complicates your life to no end, right? Well, if you don't want to be ruined by the love of money, then learn to be content with what you have. Like, learn to say, what I have is enough right now. And, and every one of us is living in the world, and you've got the public square, you've got the marketplace that is really the battleground of the gods, battleground of the false gods, and there's competing allegiances. There just are. And, and by the way, for the Christian, the question is not whether you are going to choose to be in the world but not of it. You know, a lot of people want to put that sticker on their car and say, well, today I'm going to not be in the world. N-O-T-W, whatever kind of car you put that on, not of this world. It's a declaration. It's not a, a suggestion. If you're a Christian, you're not of this world. You've been born again by the Spirit of God, and you're a citizen of heaven. But the question is, will you acknowledge Christ's lordship and will you fight to, be, to overcome the love of money? This is why Jesus puts so much importance on money. You, a Christian is not of this world. You have a different commander. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a different calling. You're to be an ambassador for Christ, to represent him and his interests. You have a different currency. You have the, the gospel. You have riches in Christ. You're a citizen of heaven. So... The point is, don't pursue after wealth. Pursue enjoying God's daily gifts. Like, just reset the priorities. And, and it has to be, happen a lot, really. I think one of the ways I find to, that's helpful in resetting my priorities is when I copy the good habits of others. Like, well, that person looks like they're having a really good attitude about their possessions. I want to copy that. Jonathan Edwards said that. He said, I'm resolved always to do that which I shall wish I had done when I see others do it. Like, be a copycat about the best things that a godly person does. Like, find a friend who has godly financial habits and priorities and ask them to help you. There's one way that can help you not be ruined by a love of money. The Bible tells us godliness with contentment is great gain. You got to believe that God is better than money and prove it by your choices and even repent of a ruinous love of money and, and even live within your means and know that every dollar does count. 
that they ought to be used for God's glory. You should ask the question, is this going to ruin me, what I'm about to do? Is this going to satisfy? Is this going to further gospel purposes? You could begin each day with the Lord's Prayer before your feet hit the ground. Not just, you know, hallowed be holy be your name, Lord, but give us this day our daily bread. I'm trusting you today, Lord, for what I need today. You know how sometimes you remember a sermon and, and a lot of, most of the time you don't? Um, seriously, it's the aggregate effect of the Word of God doing the Holy Spirit using uh, the Word upon your soul uh, where there's an aggregate effect and, and we don't memorize every sermon. But I remember a sermon that I heard like in 1983 at Downey First Baptist. Harold Adams was preaching through Philippians that year. It's the, year I, it's the church I got saved at. I became a pastor, uh, pastoral ministry at that church. And I'm telling you, um, I still remember this, the outline for this one sermon he preached. And it was about money, and it was about our, our management of it, but also our focus in life. And he was preaching Philippians 4.19. You know, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In the content, context of being content and being able to do with plenty or with little. And his outline was this, my God, that's personal, uh, shall supply, that's a promise, all your, all your needs, that's practical, according to his riches, that's proportional, in glory in Christ Jesus. You have the presence of God. I, I, always, I don't know why, but I just remember that. But it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Do you know that your God... Your God in Christ will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ. So you just love Jesus more than anything and be satisfied with his lordship and learn to be content with what you have. It doesn't mean you can't have any ambition. It doesn't mean that you can't uh, have goals in life. But if those become the driving influence upon your life, now you've mine. Learn to be content with what you have. Let me give you one more reason, one more way that you cannot be ruined by money. You know, love of money causes worry and anxiety. You need to lean on Christ. Lean on Christ and trust his sovereignty. Trust that he's got you. The love of money is against God's sovereign goodness in giving daily gifts. It's literally like, no, you can't meet my needs, God. I need to make sure that... I get this right. Now the Bible is the Christian's driving document. That's the constitution you live by. And we, we read even in, in Ecclesiastes, you fear God and keep his commands. Worship him. Trust his forgiveness. Hope in the Redeemer. Uh, obey the word. Uh, don't, don't trust in the uncertainty of riches, but trust in Christ. By the way, money won't hold you up. It's not a bearing wall in your life. It's not a, a load-bearing support beam. You need to lean on Christ. Because money, and we'll see this next week, but money can easily be gone quickly. You need to manage your possessions under God's sovereignty by using money to serve God rather than serving money as a God. The love of money it ruins you because it cannot satisfy you and it cannot save your soul. Only Jesus can. Solomon saw through a glass dimly. He was trusting in the coming Messiah, the deliverer, whose blood would cleanse. 
But we, 2020, we can look back and we see the cross. We see the man of sorrows acquainted with grief who paid our penalty at the cross, dying for our sin in our place, the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God. So the believer today, you're living between two trees, the tree of life in the garden, reminding, reminded of the fall into sin, but also you're living between the other tree, the tree of life in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, where everything will be restored. And we are living in this not yet in between time and we are tempted, you are tempted every day to be a lover of money, to be tempted by greed and by short-lived enticements to sin. Ask yourself, is what I'm about to do going to satisfy me? Will it satisfy my soul, or will it ruin me? Ask, who or what do I love more? Who or what do you love more? The love of money ruins you. Run from that. You know what people do? People despair of life when their false gods are ripped away. We've seen it happen over and over again where people will literally do away with themselves because their false gods have been ripped away. And I'm here to tell you today of the good news of the gospel that every financial market could crash. Every kingdom can crumble. Every desire of your heart could be crushed. And your soul would still be secure in Christ. Ask yourself the question, who, who or what do I love more? Will this ruin me or will it glorify God? I don't want any of us to be so wrapped up in money that we miss seeing and savoring Christ and serving Christ. We're to turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for Jesus who is going to return to save us from the wrath to come. Jesus is the source of satisfaction. Jesus is the source of joy. Don't put your trust in things that burn. Fix your hope on Christ. Lord, we thank you that precious blood purchased our freedom in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you in the gospel demand soul allegiance to Christ and that if our souls somehow feel satisfied by more money, we're settling for sorry substitute. Lord, may we love Christ more than anything and be satisfied with his lordship to be content to lean on Christ, to trust his sovereignty, to find our joy in you as we trust your daily gifts. May, may Christ be everything to us, knowing that no pain that comes our way are, is wasted as you complete the work in us. We want to love you with all our hearts and enjoy your daily gifts as we find all of our joy in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join us as we close the service?
serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, thank you for all of you that have uh, found a place to serve this fall. I know many of you have volunteered. Praise God, we got all the Awana leaders we need. A boatload of kids are coming this Wednesday to, as it starts out. Uh, we still need people to help out in early childhood as we start opening up classes in the coming weeks. And there's a process you need to go through with that. But you can see um, Randy Clark at the uh, info booth to talk with him about that. Still, we want to encourage you to find a place to serve. Also, our elders uh, continue to discuss and pray over what our next step are in this season. Um, and as we have any new next steps, we'll let you know. But thank you for praying as we uh, follow the Lord and shepherd the flock as God uh, leads us. So let me close with Romans 11, 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.